morning. I'm going to read from James 4, verses 1 to 12. I'm going to pray. And then we will continue. James 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You, do, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he is made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Heavenly Father, um, God, your good in you is fullness of joy, Lord. I pray that, Lord God, you would help me, you'd speak through me today, Lord God, um, to your people, even to my own heart, Lord God. I pray that you would work in us um, a love for you, Lord God, that, yeah, that obscures and, and makes... Um, the, the desire for the world and all that's in it fade away, Lord God. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in James. Um, <coughs> Pastor Rob was preaching um, on the text and it said, let few of you be teachers. And that's how I feel this morning. I feel like really I shouldn't be up here um, preaching this text. Um, but ironically, I think that's why the Lord has me up here preaching this text. Um, yeah. I feel recently I've been quite um, indifferent, quite um, ambivalent and just, yeah. Let's, let's, let's begin. So, over the um, past few weeks or so, we've been looking at James, and a few things have emerged. So, when Pastor Ephraim was teaching, he was um, talking about works and faith. And so, 
works being the fruit of our faith. And what we see is that um, love is the, is the fruit of our faith. We see that this is um, something that comes from relationship with God, our belief in who God is. And so that works its way out in, in our love for God and our love for each other as a church. And I'm, I'm speaking primarily to the church today, those people who profess Jesus Christ um, and profess to love God. And as Pastor Rob was preaching, we're talking about our words and how they're a reflection of our heart and how where we really are, so i.e. what we really believe, what we really want, what we desire, um, finds its way into the, the words we speak and our actions. And um, Brother Bertram last week was talking about um, how um, our, our wisdom you know, can often be, um, or what we see as wisdom can be worldly, can be um, encapsulated in selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. And so here in chapter four is almost like a, a kind of coming together and a culmination of all of these ideas and themes. Um, and James starts with a question what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And it's a, it's a stunning question to begin with because this is the church. You know, like we can either make much of what's been said, that there's fights and quarrels, or we can either just read over it like it's nothing. But this is the church of Jesus Christ. Um, throughout Scripture, we see that we're to be of one mind, we're to be unified, we're to love one another. And what he's saying is that there's fights and quarrels. And it's not something to gloss over. It's something to be astounded by. And yet, Though it's a problem and though there's an issue, it's not, it's not the core of the issue. It's not the core of the issue. It's a manifestation of the issue. So as much as James is interested in dealing with the fights and the quarrels, he's also interested in dealing with the underlying spiritual cause. So... The fights and the quarrels are definitely an issue because they don't... So John says that people will know us by our love for one another. So if you love Jesus Christ, part of what identifies you is your love for the brethren. And it's supposed to be something that's unique in this world. Something that's really unique in this world. And so if unbelievers come among us, those people who don't understand the gospel, who don't understand um, the hope to which we've been called, they're supposed to see something amazing. And so it's a problem if there's fighting and quarreling. Um, but there's an underlying cause, and there's an underlying issue that's, I wouldn't say more pressing, but can be overlooked. And so we've got this issue, and in James's day, we have this issue of, quarrels and fights, um, 
it probably would have been a lot more evident because these people are living in close community, close proximity. They're probably, you know, working for the same employers. Um, they're doing life in a, a lot more of a close way. And it says, you desire and do not have, in verse 2. You, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. There's some commentators who believe that, you know, there were literal murders taking place. You know, because people um, were, I guess, vying for the same pool of resources. Okay, so we don't have um, that same issue today, necessarily. So it might, not, it might not look exactly like it did in James's day, directly. But there's conflict in the church, isn't there? There's, there's conflict in the church. People dislike one another. People actively avoid one another. People slander each other. People are angry. People are angry. And, and so this is uh, an outward manifestation of an internal issue. It says you desire and do not have. You covet and cannot obtain. Your passions are at war within you. And this is um, talking about very kind of hedonistic desire for, for things. And when I say hedonistic, what I mean is uh, uh, a seeking for things that we think will make us happy. Now, some of you stumble over the word happy because I'm going to go on to, to use it in relation to God. But... Think of joy if that's a, an issue for you. We seek things that make us happy. Now, some of you haven't, might not consider this, but in every situation we are in, in life, we're seeking to be happy. Some of us are very unhappy, and there's a, there's a fog over our lives. There's a fog over the way we think. There's a fog over where we are. There's a lull. We're sick and we're tired, and we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And it's this, this kind of vying for things to make us happy that James is addressing. He says that we don't ask often, so we don't go to God in prayer for the things we want. And why would we? Why would we when... These things are nothing to do with God. It might be um, that we want our children to, to get A's in their exams. It might be that um, we want a new car or a new job. It might be that um, we want whatever we want. Take, take a minute to think about the things that you want. And it's not that these things are, are evil in and of themselves, but look at what James says. He says that we ask 
wrongly to spend on our passions. Whose passions? Our passions. And what's the implication that we're not concerned with what God wants? Now, God created us with a capacity for happiness. He created us to be fulfilled and to be happy. We yearn and we long for happiness. And we want things in order to facilitate. So we, the resources we have in life, we use them in order to achieve our happiness. And God is for that. But we're to seek our pleasure in God. We're to seek our pleasure in God. Let's go to Genesis 3 so we can look at the crux of the problem. Let's go to Genesis 3. So Adam and Eve have been placed in the garden that God has created. And God has given them one command. And that command is not to um, eat of the tree of good and evil, of the knowledge of good and evil. And it says from verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say... You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God has said you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then both, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And a man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you ever thought that if... Jesus was with you, you'd be satisfied. You wouldn't behave the way you do day to day. The, the sinful things, the things that you do are wrong, the things in your heart that you hide, the hate that you have towards other people. I think this is a, an illustration of what we're like, and it's the beginning and the crux of the problem. These people, they had the living God with them. They had they were in God's presence. And what happened? Well, the devil came and gave them the, well, sold them the idea that they could be like God. They could define 
what makes them happy. They could define what was right and wrong. And what happens? It says that the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So there's something she's yearning for, something she's longing after, even though she has God. Everything that she should want. And it says that the eyes of both were opened. Can you imagine? So they've been with God all this time and they were naked. And then they suddenly decide to sew fig leaves together. So at what point did nakedness become a problem? At what point was there such a thing as nakedness? God says to him, who told you you were naked? In a sense, who told you that you needed to be covered from me? At this point, humans have decided we need a covering. This is their wisdom. This is how they seek to, to make themselves comfortable, to make themselves happy, to shield themselves from God. Who told you? Where did this come from? And so, instead of what pleases God, we seek our own pleasures, our own passions. And what's James's response to this? Well, James calls us adulterous people. Adulterous people. And it's the language that comes from the Old Testament. And it's an illustration of idolatry. So, from Jeremiah 3 and verse 6, I'm going to read. And it just talks about God's relationship to his people and how his people treat him. The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what she did, that faithless one, Israel? How she went up on every high hill and under every green tree, and there played the whore. And I thought, after she's done all this, she will return to me, but she did not return and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of the faithless one Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore because she took her whoredom lightly. She polluted the land committing adultery with stone and tree. Yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, note that, but in pretense, declares the Lord. She did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense. And this is, this is part of the issue. So, Pastor E preached on faith that leads to works. And the fruit of our faith was love. And if we're talking about argument and dispute, disarray, or even 
hate in our heart. Surely, we're looking at what as, as something leading up to it. Well, surely we're looking at faithlessness, unbelief, unbelief. And what's, what's the crux of the problem? What did we see with Adam and Eve? What did we see with Israel and Judah? What do we see today? Unbelief. We don't believe that God can make us happy. Sometimes I, some of us probably don't even believe that we can be happy in God. Because we believe our joy is found in our circumstances. We believe our joy is found in us, in what we want, in what we define as good and evil. And so James levels this charge of adultery against us, adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And don't miss what he's saying. We back up for a minute. He says, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So in this picture of adultery, imagine a spouse, a husband or a wife, who receives a gift from their loved one, from their spouse, their husband or their wife, and takes it to go and spend it with a lover. So James is saying that we desire these things. We ask God for a new job. We ask God for a new car, for a new this, for a this or that or the other thing that we think will make us happy. And nowhere in that is a concern for what pleases God, for the communication of the gospel. God, give me a new place. Give me space. But there's no, there's no concern for a life that pleases God, for, for using this resource in a way that glorifies God. In Corinthians 10.31, Paul says, do all things to the glory of God, whether you eat or you drink. Can you imagine the triviality of eating and drinking? How do you even eat or drink to the glory of God? How do you do that? All things, everything. And yet we have this stash, don't we? This, this place that's just ours that God can't touch. What, what is it that you desire? What's that thing that you desire? What is that thing? And what's it for? Is it for God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend with the world makes himself an enemy of God. You can't be walking around holding hands with your lover and talking about you love your husband or your wife. Recently, um, a couple of my colleagues went to 
a divorce party. Yeah. And I didn't know what to say. Like, I, I started to, to say, this, this is sad. This is really sad. And then as I wanted to explain to my colleague why this was such a terrible thing, I realized that I didn't have the language. And the reason why I didn't have the language is because in, in the world's language, outside of the church, what I'm saying is senseless. Without God as, as a standard, without God's character, without a relationship to God, a real and living relationship, who cares if you get divorced? Who cares? What does it mean? In fact, it probably makes sense to get divorced if you're unhappy. But God says, I hate divorce. There's only... There's, I didn't have the words to begin to speak to this person about what was, what was wrong with this, this picture that they were celebrating something that was so deeply sad. Something that should have been a time for reflection, remorse, sorrow. Um, you know, for people to come around and support you, yes. And, but to, to have a party. And, and this is the way the world is. By nature, the world is adulterous in its ways. And unapologetically so. But we can't be like that. And then he goes on to say that God yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. And I look at this. It, this is verse 5, and it, it, it mirrors what's going on in verse 1. Our passions are at war within us. And so there's this self-destruct that's going on. We're warring within ourselves. We're discontent, we're dissatisfied, we're unhappy people. And yet God has given us his spirit to dwell in us, to build us up, to make us happy, to bring us to him. And yet, we're resisting that by going after things that displease him. And there's a there's an issue of humility at stake. There's an issue of status at stake. The end of verse 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, we saw it with Adam and Eve. Again, we see it um, throughout the Old Testament. And we do it ourselves. And it's, to, it's that we exhort ourselves. Adam and Eve were exhorting themselves to the level of God. 
And so do we when we define what it is that makes us happy. Now, this is a complex issue, bound up not only with our relationship with God, but our relationship with one another. Part of the issue is that actually what it means to glorify God in the way we eat and drink and what we do with our lives is that our actions have an effect on each other. And this was more evident in James's time because of the way they lived. But it's still evident today that we don't, we don't like to restrict ourselves. We don't like to curtail our rights. But unless there's, say, something you depend on, why can't you go without it? Unless there's something you're trusting for your life, for your happiness, unless that thing is essential, why, why do we hold on to it so tightly, these things so tightly? Why do we go after them so fervently? Um, and part of the answer is that we have this thing where when we, we don't feel happy, we're down. When we do feel happy, we're up. And it's about elevating ourselves. It's about it's our state of being, when we can control and define what our lives are saying, we're up. We're happy, we, we, we elevate ourselves through our control over our circumstances, through attaining happiness for ourselves. James says that we should submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee. And so we, we have an we have a enemy, we have an accuser, we have someone who's out. The, the Bible says that the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking who he can consume, who he can destroy. And James says that to resist the devil is to submit to God. If you see the order there, he doesn't say resist the devil and then submit yourself to God. He says submit yourself to God, resist the devil and he will flee. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And often we have this picture of... Um, Repentance being like a point, so we come to God and then we go away and then we come back and we go away. But actually, we're on a path and we haven't arrived. We haven't arrived yet and we're going somewhere. And often we stray from this narrow road, but God is calling us back and sometimes our you know, we're, wait, we're waiting to arrive. And due, due to that uh, this lack of arrival, we will stray off, but actually persevere. Persevere. We're not at the destination yet. Draw near to God. Keep drawing near to God. And he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And, and this is a picture of ritualistic 
cleaning, cleansing that the priests would do before they come before God um, in sacrifice. You double-minded. And so we have two pictures here. One of the double-minded person, which we saw in chapter 1. And it says that this type of person is unstable in all their ways. And this is the adulterous person. One foot in, one foot out. I'm committed, but I'm kind of going this way as well. I'm divided. And my loyalties in my thoughts in my decisions, in my purpose. And as we see from chapter one, this person is unstable in all their ways. And James calls us back to repentance. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. We are sinners. We are sinners, and he's calling us back to a statement of intent. My, my faith is in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. That's how I purify my hands and cleanse my heart. As Jesse was saying this morning, to go back to the understanding that actually it's, it's not me who can merit anything. I can't by myself, now overcome what I'm, I'm facing. I can't overcome the temptation to, to want material things, to find my happiness in other things, um, and to even to elevate myself to the status of God. I can't. But actually, I need to remember that Christ lived the perfect life of obedience to God, in which he served God faithfully in which he didn't put his desires above God's in which he didn't seek his own self or his own life but he sought to please the Father. And in verse 9 See, it says, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. C.S. Lewis said um, that if you find that you're lost on your way somewhere, you don't just keep going. You go back to the point at which you got lost and then you take the correct path and move forward. It's the, to be happy for the sake of happiness, to exalt and to rejoice in things that God is not pleased in, is not to be in a good place. You might be content 
You might be seeking contentness. Are you content in what God has revealed in his word that you ought to be content in? Are you pleased in his pleasures? Are you using your resources for his glory? If it means that the the happiness you've acquired for yourself or the happiness you can see diminishes, turn back, go back to where you should be and be unhappy. At least for a while, mourn and be wretched. Repent. Repent. Repent of the the anger and the hatred you felt towards God. The, The accusations that you leveled against him. The slandering of his character. All these things that have led to us being in a state where his church is in disarray. We need to repent. And humble ourselves before the Lord that he would exalt us, that we would find our joy, our happiness in him, our enjoyment in him. We struggle with the idea of restricting ourselves, of being restricted to the life we now lead. It may be, I don't know what what that thing is, that thing that you cover and can't obtain, or even maybe that thing you've obtained and realized was rubbish, is, and you're frustrated with the nature of life. And you realize that we're restricted. We struggle. I once heard an illustration um, on an album called Satellite Kite, and it talks about a kite that was dancing in the wind, and it loved it. It was love, it, it was loving dancing in the wind, and it loved the freedom. And its only frustration was the string that tethered it to the ground because it couldn't fly and enjoy everywhere there was to go in the sky. And it was restricted. And yet, if you've flown a kite before, you know that if you cut the string, the kite will fly about free momentarily and then crash to the ground and be destroyed. Yeah, by the wind, blown, tossed to and forth. And, and, uh, and the point is that the tension that the line provides allows the person who's guiding the kite to keep the kite up in the air. So that restriction is what allows the kite to to glide and sail successfully, to be free in the first place. We need to draw near to God and he will draw near to us. We need to find and delight in God, find our joy in him. It says... In verse 11 onwards, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. 
But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And so we're talking about an internal issue that works its way out externally. And God's answer is the grace, the spirit that he's made to dwell within us. And essentially what happens is when we who ourselves don't delight in and love God the way we should, we look at those who should love God and others and we judge them. We see that they're not loving God the way they should. They're struggling maybe. Or maybe it seems like they're just outright not, they don't care about God and the things of God. And we say, well, this person probably isn't a Christian. You know, they, they don't love the Lord. And what happens is that we become unjust judges when we condemn people. When we condemn people, we're, we're deciding the standard. We're saying that I can, this is the standard of loving the Lord. Which is the law? This is the standard of loving the Lord and his people. Now don't mishear me. We want to see corresponding work and faith. We, we want to see that. But ultimately, none of us is judge. There's only one judge. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Even when Paul talks about putting people out of the church, treat this person like an unbeliever, he does so in the hope that Satan will buffet this person and that they'll be saved in the day of the Lord. Hopefully this person will be saved by this negative experience. But we're not to judge. Let the wheat and the tares grow together. Okay, And don't uproot any, otherwise you might uproot those who are saved. And we're not to, to slander and judge people. So the issue's an internal one, and it can't be solved by brothers and sisters looking from the outside in and judging. There's only one lawgiver and one judge who's able to save and destroy. So if you see a brother or a sister who is struggling, pray for them. Before you open your mouth to slander them, pray for them. Now, the Within the passage, I said that the, the picture or the theme of adultery is a key one. And it goes to, it speaks to our hearts and it speaks to our relationship with God. But the implication is that if we're talking about adultery, we're talking about a union. We're talking about marriage. And we are the Lord's betrothed.
says in Revelation chapter 19, Hallelujah, in verse 6. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So, there's a relationship in which we become one with the Lord in the future. And we make ourselves ready, walking this narrow road, we're making our way to the destination. But, though we've made ourselves ready, it was granted to us to clothe ourselves. Finally, we get there, not because of what we've done, but because it's been granted to us by Jesus Christ and what he's done. We were able to clothe ourselves because... He gave us the garments. And in this vision of future paradise, of relationship, of union with God, where all uh, wrongful desire, all wrongful passion or adultery is passed away, we see what God has for us. Then I saw in Revelation 21, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And in, um, in Jewish um, literature, the sea is a symbol of chaos and disorder. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out from, of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he's begun, because if anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation. Let's pursue our happiness in God. Let's draw near to God and he will draw near to us. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.